Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hey, hey, hey. It's May, and it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Woo woo. <laughs> Something that, like, therapists get really excited about. So, um... We're going to do a lot today, you guys. I'm going to walk you through some of my own journey with mental illness and mental health. I'm going to talk to you about my five mental health tips and then the seven things that I think are most essential for mental health. Um, and I'm, even as I'm saying those words, I almost feel like a little bit of like, ew, a little bit like I don't want I, the idea of mental illness being something like depression or like bereavement. I'm like, What? The mentally ill part makes it feel bad or dark or like something's wrong or will forever be wrong or will be chronic. Um, and again, I think that's why it's so important that we are able to hear all different types of stories when it comes to the idea of mental illness so that we can reclaim the idea of mental health, which is what this month is all about. But it's also why I, when I look around about what people are talking about when it comes to Mental Health Awareness Month, we are talking so much more about mental illness and we are talking so much less about how to actually be mentally healthy. So this, this podcast is going to be all of that today. Um, I want to flip the script on this month and help people understand that while there is room to understand the statistics when it comes to mental illness or why mental, elf, why, why mental illness occurs, all of that, I also want to talk about how we can move towards a place of mental healthiness. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and I want you ultimately, I want you to be able to understand where I'm coming from and why this is so personal for me. I used to fear my story disqualifying me from serving other people. I, I feared that if people knew some of the things that I've been through or, or some of the mental illnesses that I've experienced that maybe I wouldn't be able to do my work as a therapist. Thankfully, I realized that this is like a total BS narrative that really was trying to keep me quiet. You guys, this is my why. What I'm about to share with you is my why. Why I am a therapist, why I do the work I do, why I created weekends, why I want to reclaim the narrative on mental health and normalized therapy. So here we go. I dealt with depression as a child. My dad was an alcoholic and our family system was really abusive. He was later incarcerated. My parents had a nasty divorce and I was the oldest child and I put an extreme amount of pressure on myself to keep it all together and I felt like I failed when our family fell apart. So at 10 years old, I was already considering suicide. The only thing that kept me from doing this was my brother and sister. Every time I would think about it, I'd watch their faces flash in front of me and I had this maternal sense of responsibility and love for them and it, it kept me alive. When I was in high school, I had an abusive relationship with a boyfriend 
which completely messed up and distorted my view of myself, my body, my worth. My depression surfaced again here because I felt like I was alone and I couldn't tell anyone. It was also like mental and confusing and I felt crazy talking about it. I went to college and was terrified, <laughs> you guys. I sat under a tree and cried at the first freshman barbecue because I was so mortified and insecure and I just didn't know how to do any of it. This was the first time I actually took medication for depression. My senior year of college, I was paralyzed from the waist down and I was told I would never walk again. Surprisingly, this was not depressing for me. I felt like this was like, of course, something like this would happen to me. At this point, I was already confirming this negative inner narrative that bad things happen to me and I deserve them. And that is what this paralyzation was. It was confirming these worst beliefs that the other shoe is always going to drop and it's always going to drop on me. A year later, my brother died in a traumatic skateboard accident. This was my most, my most severe season of depression. I was devastated. I bottomed out. It was the worst. I wish I would have taken medication in the season. I think I was just so deep in it. I don't, I couldn't see my way out. I, I felt like I, I, I just couldn't find my way through. Like I was in some like amoebic tunnel where the walls weren't even solid. And I just couldn't really, I couldn't figure it out. It was heavy. I did go to therapy in this season. After my second son was born, I had postpartum. You guys, I didn't even recognize it. How ironic is that? I am a therapist and I didn't even see the signs and it was bad. I also wish I would have figured this out sooner and treated it. I think medication would have been super helpful to pull me out quicker. I have a story of both mental illness and mental health, of medication and not, of going to therapy, of just having really great friends being restorative for me, of overcoming things, or I guess in some way like still being alive, which I think is a victory. You guys, these are just, these are highlights. These are things that I sat down and I thought what would be important for you to hear today so you can understand some of the places that I'm coming from. Because I want you to, to see, even in parts of my story, that our narrative is birthed not only out of pain or loss or trauma or depression, but our narrative is also birthed out of love and healing and relationship and truth. It is in this specific space that I have done my own personal work, and it is now the space I work in to help others learn to do the same. Nothing is beyond healing. I mean it, nothing. Nothing is beyond healing. If that is hard for you to hear and you aren't ready for that, I accept you. We should just keep talking about it. There are times and things and experiences and stories where we will begin to believe that everything but that piece. But that that thing is just too dark or we can't come back from it or it was too hard or it was too whatever. In my person... And in my profession, I hold the, the, the idea and the space that everything is solvable, everything is, can be healed, everything. I believe that and I want to hold that space in this work. 
and that I also respect where each person is along the way. Wherever we are and our willingness to go into some of that depth, to examine and see what the narrative is offering us, what things we believe we deserve, and then learning how to actually breathe some life force back in there to build discrepancy between the narrative that we have been offered and believed and the narrative that if we believed it, we would actually walk out the other side lighter, fuller, with a restored sense of truth, identity, purpose, clarity, vision, you name it. That is a real work. Those are some of my formative experiences in times where I experienced a true definition of mental illness. I met all the qualifiers. I had the like a categorical um, diagnosis for depressive disorder. I'm a therapist. I'm a mom. I'm a wife, person of, of faith or spirituality. I, I'm Elise. I'm, I feel like I'm relatively a, <laughs> a normal-ish person. This is what mental illness looks like. Do you hear that? This is what mental illness looks like. I am what mental illness looks like. However you receive that information today, I want you just to let it let it sit with you or let it sting you or let it surprise you or let it make you feel comforted. Whatever that is, I'm scared, I don't know. I just want you to have another story about what mental illness looks like and what the process of healing looks like, you guys. So we're gonna talk about the my five best mental health tips because I want you to hear that the work of healing is not always dark, dismal, archaic, old, and forever. So here are the things. One, get the resources you need. Honestly, when I look back over my story, the, the, get the resources you need, whether that is therapy, whether that's a community of people that understand you, whether that's medication, whether that's the best book on self-help you've ever read in your entire life, a life coach, I don't care. You know. What resource do you need if you or someone that you know is experiencing any form of trauma, mental illness, pain? Get the resources you need. Do not delay. That's number one. Get the resources you need. Um, as a person, I believe that that's therapy. That was um, ultimately one of the most significantly pivotal experiences in my life because there was a trained person able to help me sift through experiences that I believed in my core were because of me or my fault and being able to restoratively and very I don't know, preciously undo some of those things and renew those beliefs that that changed my perspective and my understanding of self. Um, number two is keep it practical. You guys, when we think about um, treating mental health, we can get sometimes like so abstract or so woo-woo that it's like, okay, I need to drink my celery juice and then I need to like take a shot of turmeric and then I need to sprinkle ginger on my head and then I need to do a meditation with my essential oils and then I need to balance my chakras and then I'm going to go to yoga and then I'm, it's like, oh my God, like you guys, it's like noon and like life hasn't even happened yet. It's not repeatable. <laughs> It's just not. It's not practical. It's not realistic. And so then it'll never happen. When you think about taking care of yourself or your and your mental health, keep it practical. Let it be something that you can actually do. So we want to set realistic goals for ourselves. So maybe you do all of those things, but maybe not all at once. Maybe you do some of those things, but not every day. 
mental health is not something you have to like so chronically be obsessed over. Otherwise, it's going to become a mental illness in and of itself, right? Pick simple, healthy things that you can do on a regular basis so that you actually come back and do them. Don't overcomplicate it, which is the third one. It's just like, keep it simple. When I think about the best strategy for helping people learn to take care of themselves, it's just keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Let's spend some time breathing. Is that not the most simple thing you can do? But literally, you guys, the the statistics, the evidence, the research on taking moments and time to breathe, how that oxygenates our cells, how that transforms brain energy, breath, breath work. That is, that is simple because guess what? You're going to have to breathe anyway. So you might as well learn to breathe with intention. A simple, like practical hack. Something that I do is I will pick some words to consider breathing in and then breathing out. So today's, I imagined when I was breathing in, I was breathing in life, exhaling, hurt. That was just a mantra that suited me today. Breathing in life, exhaling, hurt. There are times where I have wanted to breathe in the new, breathe out the old. Where I've wanted to breathe in hope, breathe out wounding. You see, you're using something you're already doing. You're integrating the idea of mental health care. But you can do this at your desk. You can do this in the car. You can do this right now. One word in, one word out. You guys, that is a simple thing we are all capable of doing. As long as we're breathing, we're living, we can take care of this part of our body. It is a practical and simple way for us to come back into ourselves, into our body, into our awareness, and take care of ourselves. So pick your words. One for in, one for out, and breathe. If you did that for two minutes, you would notice a shift in your emotional reactivity and your emotional wellness, all of it. Okay, that's a practical, simple thought. The other one is um, keep it light. When we are dealing with with the worst of the worst, with really hard things, whether that be in therapy or whether you were doing your own work through journaling or or a self-help book or even this podcast, however you are making sense of your dark, please balance that with something light. You guys, it's important that when we are walking in those valleys that we are also able to still see the light, that we are still able to actually like laugh at something and not lose ourselves to the darkness. I, it's Think about it like if you're rappelling that you still actually have that harness on and that tether, that rope, that something that keeps you connected to something else. One of my goals, and I, and I kind of think of it like bobbing and weaving, when I'm working with people and we're going through the deep, and you guys, I have... I was um, a trauma therapist for a long time. I have worked with some of the most radical traumas I've ever read about. And I'm saying that because I want you to understand that even there, there is a, a gracious blend of being able to bob in to the trauma, weave out to grace. Bob in, weave out. Hold that trauma breathe that grace, hold that trauma, breathe that grace. There's a, it really is a a gentle, delicate balance of not plunging into the trauma in such a way that we cannot emerge again from it, 
but being able to go with a guide, with a qualified person to be able to help you. I'm moving my hands in this way and maybe I'll record it later, but like um, bob and weave, ebb and flow, gently find our way, like the way that um, maybe when you're sewing and the stitch goes back and forth like that, we're able to move through it graciously and with light. I want, when I'm working with my people and we're going through those deep, the deep darks, I always maintain an essence of lightness or laughter. I want them to understand that even as we look at the things that have, that caused internal death, that there is light life, that there is resurrection even in that place. And even when they are in their own work, and that is not something that they believe that they can borrow from that, which I believe in order to be able to walk through that successfully or differently. So I want to keep it light. The work of therapy does not have to be dark, depressing, dismal, restrictive, claustrophobic, confining, archaic. Nope. <laughs> that's what I mean. Nope. That's I guess that's what I'm going to say to that. Okay. The last thing that I want to talk about in regards to my best mental health tips is this. It's this idea of half steps. This is my most practical suggestion. When you think about, oh, I, I need to, I need to change. I need to make a change. I need to do something different. A lot of times we try to take this like giant, like mother may I t step. Can I take one giant step forward, right? And maybe we do it that first day. But my suggestion to you is, is taking a half step forward. Okay, so half steps can be physical places or behaviors. So I want you to think about it like this. So let's say that I wanted to create a new self-care regimen, then I know that sometimes jumping right into the behavior that there is resistance to doing that. And so I might pick the half step, which then allows me to pivot and then move forward successfully. So let me break that down. When I think about taking some time to maybe read a book on the Enneagram, I guarantee you that there are going to be a million things that come up between me and me reading that book on the Enneagram. What I need to do is pick a half spot in between, a half step in between that allows me to actually get to Enneagram book. For me, my physical space is I literally will drive down to the beach and park it there because I know in that half step, in that space, I make such healthier decisions. If I tried to read that book at home, I would notice the dishes that need to be done, the laundry that hasn't been folded, the floor that is like covered in my kids' food. I, I would then get hungry. I would think about maybe I should make some tea. Maybe I should order some tea. Um, also, apparently I have ADHD. So do you see like how the idea of doing a good thing disintegrates into what is around you? So sometimes the half step is a physical place, having to get up out of the ordinary to a place that allows you to then make the healthy decision you want to make. So pick a physical place. Um, sometimes for me, it's a coffee shop. If I know that I need, I have some time and I would like to do something that is restorative or taking care of myself, sometimes I need to go to that physical half place and then make a decision. So if I wanted to go for a run and I don't feel like that when I'm at my house, well then again, maybe I need to drive down to the beach, take some moment to uh, come back to myself, take some moment to remember that that is the good thing that I want to do. And then from there, I would make the decision to go for a run. I think that half steps are like this way of like um, being able to get to the thing that I want to do by removing some of the resistance or obstacles that come up that make it feel like it's just out of reach. So whatever your goal is, whatever your whole step is, whether that be exercise or reading a book or listening to a podcast or 
um, practicing meditation, whatever the one-step goal is, I want you to think about what a half-step place could be. In order to listen to that meditation, do you need to pick a different place in your house to go to so you know you won't be faced with interruption? So think about a physical space. Um, the other thing is a behavioral half-step. So again, if I am trying to make this giant step forward and I would like to make a healthy meal, or I again, whatever the goal is, <laughs> whatever the goal is for you, I want to be more patient with my children. I want to show up well in my friendships. Whatever the goal is, uh, the behavioral half-step might be setting the, the mood with some music. Maybe I'm going to put on a certain music with my kids because I know that that's going to change the mood for all of us and that's going to allow me to more genuinely and, and uh, successfully enter into that space of patience and care and kindness that I want to show up for them so badly. Okay, so a half step, of, let's say that my goal was to journal that day. Well, then I know that I always leave my journal and my pen in a spot every single time so I'm not confused about where that happens or so the, beha the behavior ahead of time is just preparing ahead of time so that we have it there and it's ready for us and we do not have to face the resistance of the obstacle. So with all that to be said, the idea of half steps is just a way of cutting the deck in the middle and allowing us to go from present half step, whole step. I think that there is more success in us being able to get to the halfway healthy place that launches us to the all the way healthy place that allows us to be successful in implementing or accomplishing the goals that we want to. So when you think about whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, I want you to ask yourself if there is a half step you can take in that same direction. And do you need to do that in a physical way by taking yourself to a physical place to make that decision? Or do you need to do that in a behavioral way where literally you just you change the mood or you change the room um, or you do something to shift yourself behaviorally in order to actually get um, to the goal that you're looking for? So I could go on on that. I will do that another time. Um, but for right now, half steps. Okay. Those are my five things. Get the resources you need. Keep it practical. Keep it light. Keep it simple and use half steps. Um, other things I want to talk about. This is the, the seven things that I think are essential for mental health. Yes, this is literally just my, these are, these are the things that have been the most helpful for me and that I think are the most helpful for all of us as we are pursuing mental health. And do you know what mental health is? That's just being human. Mental healthiness or mental happiness, like that idea of healthy humanness maybe. These are things that I think are helpful. Community honesty, laughter, movement, touch, belief system, and meaning. When I reflect back on everything that I have learned professionally or personally, these seven things are the things that changed my life. Community. We need people. We do, whether we want to or not. So I want you to think about where is your community? How do you feel when you're there? Do people know you? Do you look, are you looking for community? How are you building that? Because there is great community around. Uh, people, have, okay, talk about, let's talk about CrossFit community or a yoga community. You might have a church community. You might have a mops community. Um, you might just shop at Trader Joe's every Tuesday and always say hi to that person. Community might be a bunco group. It might be a book club. Um, however... The, wherever or however you experience community, go honestly and go vulnerably. 
A question of discrepancy might be asking yourself if you are in a healthy community. I think that's really an important factor. Um, when we think about community for mental health, the community needs to be healthy. Are you a part of, that, of restoring that, that community to health? Um, is that possible or do you need to enter into a different community? Honesty. Honesty with ourselves and others. Honesty with how we're feeling. Honesty with how we feel about our needs. Honesty about communicating what we need. When we have something that we hold back from other people, it does not feel good. When we have something that we hold back from ourselves, it does not feel good. There, there's a, We are made to not have that sense of guilt or, like, or um, separation where we keep one thing compartmentalized over here. We keep the other thing compartmentalized over here. We need full integration of all of our parts and all of our story and all of our thoughts and all of our feelings in order to experience mental health. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Scan through. What parts of you do you need to be more honest in? How can you communicate that in a way that is loving and kind to yourself? I'm not even talking about other people yet. How can you communicate honestly to yourself? Elise, you're doing good in that space. Elise, you could probably work harder in that space. Um, but there's time, there's room, I don't know. How can you honestly communicate genuinely and graciously? And then how do you take that from within to without, to your relationships? That you could be a truth teller to your friends, but in a way that's kind. That you could use words to create community. That we could build honest friendships where we can see each other, love each other, right where we are. Honesty is not being in the best place all the time. Honesty is just being right where you are and being able to present yourself exactly as you are without dressing it up. So community, honesty, and then laughter. You guys, we need to laugh. We need to laugh. I did a, um, I talked about that this week and did a whole series of jokes on there and you guys are freaking hilarious. Those jokes were amazing. I even got DM'd ones that were inappropriate, which were my true favorite. And I was like, these, I feel understood right now. <laughs> you guys, we need to laugh. We need to laugh. It shakes things up within us. We need to be able to just shake off some of that, um, the, literally like the cathartic energy that we need to like, oh, that feels so good to just let that go. When we laugh, we lose control, like in, in a good way. We can like that, like that kind of feeling. We just let it, we can let it go. What makes you laugh? I don't care if it's inappropriate or not, as long as it's not harmful. But what makes you laugh? Can we do that more often? Can we do that with other people? Movement. Here's we need to keep our bodies moving. This is something that I think can get um, murky when people start, we start moving that into shame or we start moving that into um, body composition or we start moving that into an unhealthy place. I'm just talking about sometimes we literally just need to get up and move around. We need to get up and go for a walk around the block. We need to, to breathe fresh air. Um, when we feel stuck emotionally, we tend to become stationary in our physical body. We can use movement as a way to get the rest of us moving again. So if you feel like your thoughts are in a rut and you just, you're perseverating and you're thinking about the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you have the same core beliefs over and over and over and over and over again, try getting up and going for a walk, not just sitting in that same spot on the couch in those same sweatpants, right? I'm only saying that because I've been there. So movement, we need to move our bodies in order to promote like full person health touch. We need touch. We need meaningful, safe touch. We need hugs. <laughs> we need 
our, our bodies are a part of us. And sometimes when we think about health, we think about that as an internal work or as an emotional work, but our bodies are the container for that space. You guys, our bodies are what holds our emotions and our spirit and our memories and our, and our things. So we need our bodies to have good, safe touch. If you don't have a community where you have access to that, you can get a massage. You could uh, get your toenails done. Um, you could uh, take a restorative yoga class where they like come over and like touch your third eye and stuff. Um, find meaningful touch. Are there people in your life where you just make sure that you just hug them goodbye when they're leaving? Think about what touch is meaningful for you. Hey, here's one. Guess what? You can give yourself a hug. You can put your hands on your knees or on your legs and be able to say like, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you body. This is mine. You are good. I am here. We're able to communicate safety to our own body by connecting back to it just by being with it. Okay. A belief system, number six. Uh, we need relationships outside of ourselves. This isn't a talk on religion. Um, this is a talk about having a belief system that extends beyond yourself. So however you find yourself in that spectrum, think about what things you believe in. We need as people, we humans, we long to make sense of the world or the afterlife or how the world works or how we relate to others. So what do you believe in? Do you believe in being kind to other people? Like, do you believe in the golden rule? I mean, do you, do you believe in God? What do you believe in? I think as, as people, when we struggle with that existential sense of I don't know or what's happening next, uh, that can create a form of anxiety, which is not mental health. So consider exploring what you believe in. How do you feel about your relationship with spirituality right now? Is it a source of strength, hope, and wisdom? What do you want in that space? Do you need to read more or reach out more or try different spiritual experiences? And um, what would it feel like for you to feel healthy when it comes to your belief system? What needs to be revamped? Where are you in that process of order, disorder, and reorder? When we think about reconstructing a spiritual or systematic belief system that fits the space that you're in. And lastly, meaning, which is derived from all of those things. We are searching for meaning, for purpose, for belonging, for a sense of where we specifically fit in the grand scheme of things. What is your meaning? Your purpose? Where do you fit in here? It's okay to just be with that question. It's okay to not know. I think for myself, I, I like that question to resurface as often and as naturally as it needs to. I think of that um, answer always being in some form of like metamorphic process. That there are times where my meaning is derived from my relationships. Sometimes my meaning is derived from just being. I learned that most specifically when I was paralyzed, where I was, I wanted my meaning to be from what I could do. And when I literally couldn't move, having to accept that if I never did another thing or was able to move and do all the things I wanted to do, that I would still be good. That was a good hard lesson. Because meaning is not derived from production. You're not valuable for what you do only. OK? 
Okay, you might also be valuable for what you can do, but you are not only valuable for what you can do. I want you to think about your inherent meaning, which might come from your belief system that you belong to something bigger than yourself that's good. Maybe from the role that you have as mother or father or son or wife or kind stranger. <laughs> I know we're getting a little existential, but I think that these, these are components that we can be in process with in question with, in search of, that we could uh, move towards. So community, honesty, laughter, movement, touch, belief system, and meaning. I think that those, those things are worthy of contemplation, conversation, and practice. Because I want to help people find this stuff genuinely. Not just intellectually, and not just for a season, but really genuinely as an integrated part of who they are. I want people to feel whole and to feel good and beautiful and equipped and enough and capable. I want people to know that if, if I can, they can. That no matter how dark or hopeless your story, how messed up your family, how much time you feel you have wasted, how alone you feel that there is hope. 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 If you have any experience with depression, whether it be your own or someone else's, or anxiety or trauma or bipolar disorder or ADHD or suicidal ideation, personality disorders, addiction, eating disorders, PTSD, agoraphobia, paranoia, shame, pick one. If you have any experience with any of these, please know this makes you a survivor, a strong, experienced badass with something to offer someone else who is also going through this because you are making it through. Any contradictory thought that just surfaced in your mind right now, that is the counter narrative you need to disrupt. Any contradictory thought surfacing in your mind right now, that is the counter narrative you need to disrupt. Any thought that sneaks up and wants to suggest that you don't actually know and that you are not qualified and that you need to stay quiet or stay small and feel worthless, embarrassed, or afraid, that's the thing that we need to put down, flip, and reverse it. Okay? You are a survivor. You are strong. You are experienced. You have something to say. You are a beacon of hope for others. You are evidence that life is livable and survivable, even in pain, even in diagnosis, even in loss or trauma or fear or any of the other configurations of the DSM-5. You, you are strong and capable and worthy and good. Let's speak up about mental health this month. Let's be whole together. Let's be hope for each other. Let's be truth for each other. Let's be kindness and tenderness but also fierceness. Wherever you find yourself along the spectrum of health, know that you are not alone. If you were with me today in the trailer, you guys, I would be making some serious eye contact with you because I would want you to know how real this is and how for real I am for you. I wouldn't want you to be able to deflect that intensity. I would want you to know that everything can be healed that there is hope that we are in this together, all of us. And then I would remind you that like, why not just get started? That there are so many ways forward with this. If you are listening and you feel like you want to do more of your own work in this space, please reach out, email me, go to my website, elisesnipes.com, DM me on Instagram. I have an amazing group of therapists and coaches who are so gifted at this type of work. 
There are weekend retreats you can come to, which is where I focus specifically on this exact concept of inner narrative work. There are workshops you can take online or listen here. However you choose your way forward, let's just stay connected. You guys, here's to Mental Health Month and reclaiming the space to normalizing therapy, to redefining and giving another image of what mental illness looks like. Here's to hope and healing and being truth tellers and image bearers of deep restoration. Cheers. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.